So, if you would get your Bibles out, you're going to need them tonight, um, and put your finger in it, or your spoon, um, and turn to Psalm 32. Okay. Okay. Now I can't use my hands like I like to. When I was five years old, uh, I recall very well one evening that I stepped down from the dinner table and crawled over to my little corner um, where the cupboards were by the hearth of the fireplace, five years old, and I got out my Lincoln Logs and started to create the greatest Lincoln Log cabin in the history of the world. <laughs> and in view was the television set, and it wasn't Captain Kangaroo or the Mickey Mouse, anybody? Captain Kangaroo? Yeah. <laughs> good, t good black and white TV, right? Um, none of that was on, but the Billy Graham crusade was on. And my m mom and dad would have it on whenever it was televised, and I'm sitting there in my little corner, and I'm doing a pretty good job at staying distracted. We got towards the end of his message, and my five-year-old little brain became captivated by the simple message of the gospel. It's still tender after all these years. <laughs> and when that invitation came, I invited Jesus into my heart. And I felt forgiven, and it felt right, and it felt good, and I felt blessed. And I'm not even sure what he was forgiven for, maybe for sticking my tongue out at my sister or something, but I felt that feeling that I was blessed that night. Well, that was uh, 60 years ago. Lots transpired between now and then, uh, several seasons of new surrender to Jesus. There was some growth and some bumpy roads, and I met and married the woman of my dreams. And you look so beautiful tonight. <laughs> and we've witnessed miracles, and we've seen the grace of God, and now seen a five-year-old grandson come to his mom and dad on his own and say, God, I think, or mom and dad, I think I'm ready to ask Jesus into my heart. So it's a new generation. And tonight I can stand before you and say that he is still my greatest desire and that his love is unfailing. If you hear nothing else tonight, know that. Here at Saints Hill, one of our core values has been having the privilege of hosting God's presence, having that intimacy with God that's the greatest thing you could ever desire. And you've heard it said that all good things grow in his presence and all bad things fade away. And I can tell you with assurance tonight that every one of your leaders here has that same desire in their heart to be in God's presence, to have him as, as their greatest desire. But if we're, um, and, and for some of you, that's your deepest desire as well, and it shows. And we can see it as you worship, we can see it as you converse with each other, and I'm sure we see it as you leave here and go to your dorm or go to your job or wherever it is you go. Uh, it goes with you. Um, but if we're really honest tonight, and I want to be, there's some of us here this evening that don't feel close to God at all. 
and you feel like there's this wall that you just can't get past. And you want to be close to God, and you see others around you that are close to God, and you want it and you desire it, but you just don't know where to start. And for some of you, that wall's there because you have a faulty understanding of forgiveness. And you carry around feelings of guilt and shame from something you've done in the past, and you're saying, I can't be close to God, not yet, not till I've sat in this guilt and shame for a while, not until I've paid it back somehow. And there's this wall and this heaviness, but that wall doesn't really exist. <laughs> Several years back, um, Kathy's mom and dad have always been so very gracious to us, and I could give you a long list of the things that they did to bless us. But we wanted to just say thank you at one point. And so we decided we'd take them out to dinner. Um, and all our three young kids came along. They're all old adults now. But they all came along and were having this great meal. And they're having fun. We're having fun. And it got towards the end of the meal. And I grabbed, grabbed my wallet, which I don't have now. Can you call my wallet? No. Uh, I, I went to grab for my wallet and got my credit card out, slipped it to the waitress and said, no, you know, no hurry. Uh, we're not in a hurry. Just want, wanted you to have it. And she, she kind of tips her head down trying to be quiet. And she goes, it's been paid for. And I go, Pay, who paid for it? And she kind of rolls her eyes like over this, over to my father-in-law. He had already gotten it. I don't know when he... He did that all the time. And I'm thinking, well, we got to pay for something. What about the tip? And, she, and I said, did he even tip you? And he goes, she goes, oh, yeah, he tipped me. And I'm thinking, I want to pay for something. But it was paid in full. And that's the love of the Father towards you. There's nothing we can pay for. It's already been paid for, even the tip. In Psalm 51, at the end, David understood this. And we have a verse. Poof, there it is. <laughs> you would not be pleased. This is David. You would not be pleased with sacrifices, or I would bring them. If I brought you a burnt offering, you wouldn't accept it. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And when we come to him with that repentant heart, we're set free. The bill has been paid. The chains are broken. There's nothing else we owe. But for others of us tonight, and it may be even one, that wall really does exist because you have a faulty understanding of repentance. And there's something you're doing, and you know it's wrong, and it feels so good, and you want to hang on to it, and you're clinging to it. And you end up trying to avoid God because you know you can't keep doing this thing and still be close to God too. And it's miserable and it's exhausting and it grinds on you. And God seems really distant. And some of you have felt like that in the past. And some of you are feeling like that right now. And that's not what God wants for his family. He wants us to be blessed. <laughs> he wants us to have that intimate relationship with him. And all he asks of us is that we have a repentant heart. 
And that word blessed is woven through the scripture. We see it first in Genesis. We see it at the end in Revelation. And it's written all through the scriptures and all over the Psalms. And I love the Psalms. David was a man of passion. And if you didn't hear Bria last week talking about David's passion, go listen to that podcast. He was a man of passion. And if anybody understood guilt and shame and blessing, it was David. If you recall, um, David had an adulterous relationship with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And then to make it worse, he sent Uriah to the front of the battlefield to be killed, and he was. And now he has adultery and murder on his rap sheet. And some of you are saying, that's unforgivable, but it's not. <laughs> David, David, God loved David's heart. And in 32, Psalm 32, which we're going to get to now, <laughs> uh, we see an example of what from David, what our hearts need to look like. So take your spoon out of your Bible, put you, get to Psalm 32. Verse 1, Psalm 32, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit there's no deceit. I love the New Living Version. It says it like this. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Have you ever felt that kind of blessing? Do you really believe tonight that when you're forgiven, you're blessed? Do you really believe that it's been paid in full? In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good news. And when you really get it, when you really internalize this, there's that awe feeling. It just feels, ah, oh, feels so good. I feel so blessed. And it took years before I really understood that. And part of the problem was because I was so concerned about what other people thought about me and not spending enough time thinking and discovering what God thought about me. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul painted a picture of what it it looks like. And it says this, that you were washed, you were cleansed, and you were justified. That's what it feels like. And you feel holy just as God designed you to be and you're justified. There's nothing held against you. I love this verse. Um, Paul says it really well. The scriptures always say it great. But how we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. That's what it feels like, and that's your identity. 
Let's look at, let's look at uh, verse 3, Psalm 32. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me, and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And finally I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly confess their rebellion to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. Have you ever felt weak and miserable because there's something you haven't confessed? I have. Uh, not too long ago, there were some real slanderous things, completely unwarranted, said to me verbally and through some emails, and I was hurt, and it cut really deep. But my sin wasn't that I was hurt or cut. It was that I allowed bitterness and hatred to sink into my brain and down into my heart, and I would let it stay there. And... I confess to you tonight that I even cheered when their favorite sports teams would lose, and that was sick. <laughs> and it weighed heavy on me, and I was weak and miserable like David describes. And I'd just try to put it out of my mind and forget about it, and then that bitterness would want to creep back in, and I'd let it. And finally, I confessed my rebellion to the Lord, and it was forgiven. It was gone. And when it wants to creep back in, I proclaim in Jesus' name, I've forgiven that person. And in Jesus' name, bitterness and hate be gone. You have no authority here. You're not welcome here. And it stays away. But once we've agreed with God that what we have done is sin, we must also agree that it's affected at least the life of one other person. I coached my uh, son's youth baseball team, and on the, in the, uh, one of our games, my son John made a base running mistake. And instead of taking him aside at the appropriate time and saying, do you understand your mistake, and do you understand what the correction is, I didn't do that. I made a bigger mistake, and I said in front of everybody, John, what are you thinking? And it was loud enough for all his teammates to hear. It was loud enough for at least one dad to hear. And after the game, this dad, who is a Jesus follower, came up to me and graciously called me out on it. And I agreed, and that's where it ended. <laughs> but it would pop up through the years, um, mainly when I was working with high school athletes on a high school baseball team. And I'm trying to avoid that same mistake. And it would pop back up to my mind, and then it would go away. And 18 years later, it popped up again. This time it was different. And God clearly said to me, he said, Jim, you've never made that right with John. I want you to go call him right now. So I obeyed, and I did. Called him on the phone, reminded him of the story, and he had no recollection of it. But being the godly man he is, I asked for his forgiveness. He says, Dad, I forgive you, and I love you. And then we talked about something else, and it was gone. It was lifted. 
And you may think that's a little thing, but those things are cumulative. And Kathy and I have been learning that we need to practice forgiveness even if the offenses seem small. <laughs> because if we don't, selfishness and resentment and bitterness wants to creep back in and it wants to destroy you, the relationship with other people or your marriage. And when you practice families, when you practice this in the home in front of your children, <laughs> they're going to learn what the love of the Father is really like as you do that. Because that's where forgiveness, that's the source of our forgiveness. When Alex mentioned we were at Bridgetown Church, and at the very beginnings of Bridgetown Church, um, we were asked to go downtown and be in a community of about 50, 25 to 30-year-olds, about that. And we all crammed in this little girl's condominium, and it was just awesome. And I think we were there because we were the olds, you know. <laughs> um, but it was a lot of fun. And... Um, and, and then there was Richard. And Richard was 44. And Richard was an eccentric. He, he was a lot of an eccentric. And he would show up to the meetings in his stocking cap and his robe and his slippers. And we're rolling our eyes and thinking, what's, you know, what's this guy's story? And he'd have a lot of things to say. And I befriended Richard. Kathy did as well. And soon after that, discovered that Richard was dying of AIDS. And Richard would call me um, at any time during the night or day, and he'd usually ask me to do something for him. He'd say, Jim, I need you to do this. And it could be at 2 in the morning when I was at the fire station. I'd just get a phone call from Richard. I need you to come do this in the morning. And I tried to accommodate him, and I got there as often as I could. And usually it was around grocery shopping at Fred Meyers, the downtown Fred Meyers that he lived within walking distance. And so we went over to Fred Meyers and we'd go there and he's in his robe and his slippers and his stock and cap. And he, had, he was tattooed literally from the bottom of his feet to right here in the top of his neck, the most beautiful art I've ever seen in my life. But people would see his robe come open and they'd see this and they would gawk at him. And on one occasion, there was a gal that was especially gulky, gulky. I looked up that word. It's actually a word. She was gulky, gulky. And it a little bit bothered me and my satirical kind of self. I said it nicely, but I, I looked over at her and I said, this is my really dear friend, Richard. Would you like to meet him? And she kind of scurried off. And I saw Richard in his waning health kind of leaning over his cart. And I saw this little smile come through his face. Sorry, guys, this is still tender. And he said, thank you, Jim. Some people just don't get it. Richard's health was going downhill really fast. And, and within weeks, it found him in the ICU at Emanuel Hospital. And I'd try to make it up every day. And I'd just read to him, we'd talk, and I'd read to him in the, from the Bible. But Richard had an estranged relationship with his dad. In fact, they hadn't talked in 20 years. And dad, being a pastor, was mad at Richard for his choice of lifestyle. Richard was mad at his dad for being bitter, and they were both angry, and they'd never done anything about it. So we prayed. 
and we prayed for reconciliation. And I was at the hospital one night, or I, 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 rather, I was at in my dorm room at the fire station, and it was four o'clock in the morning, and I get a text from the ICU nurse. And it read, Richard may not make it through the day. And I text her back, okay, I'll be there in the morning. And as soon as someone came in to relieve me that day on my du on du to get there on duty, I ran down to Emmanuel, came into the, into the door, and Richard was kind of in and out. And I managed to talk to him a little bit, and I'd read to him. I remember reading to him from the Gospel of John, as he liked me to go to the Gospel of John when we'd read. And at one point, he kind of came back, and he looked up at me and said, I think my dad is coming today. And I thought, he, he's, conf he's just confused. He's, he's not going to make it through the day. And then we kept reading. I kept talking. He kept going in and out. And then I hear a knock on the door, and Dad walks in. And with tears streaming down his face, he goes over and embraces his son. And the first words that came out of his mind said, Richard, will you forgive me? And Richard, with tears coming down his face, said, Dad, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? And I walked out of the room because I was crying like I'm starting to now. And I go out into the hallway, and I'm thinking, if you could take a jar with all these tears, that's what forgiveness looks like. And I went back onto duty that night, had to be in the fire station. And I get a text, or actually got a phone call this time. It's the ICU nurse. And she said, um, Richard died 10 minutes ago. And uh, he, wants you to come, he wanted you to come down, and he wanted you to be the first to know. And so I hustled down afterwards. Um, but before I did that, I laid my head back down on my pillow. <laughs> and I thought, that's what forgiveness looks like. And I was restful <laughs> knowing that I'd just seen a move of God. But the message there is, as we, as we read a moment ago, don't wait for the last minute. <laughs> While there's still time, it reads in the scripture. Don't wait till the last minute. God can do anything up to the last minute. Don't wait till the last minute. Let's keep going. In verse 2, if you remember, it says um, the, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And we read in verse 5, it says, I confessed my sins and stopped trying to hide them. And we want to sugarcoat the truth. <laughs> we sometimes are afraid just to get it all out there and we'll say something like, my roommate and I aren't getting along. Instead of, I feel bitter and angry and my words to her have been horrendous and just getting it out there. Or we may say that I'm having these weird feelings about the opposite sex. Instead of saying, every time I pick up my phone, I'm looking at porn, and I do it over and over and over again, and it's sick, and I feel sick. That's how I feel. Or we may say nothing at all and to think it's going to go away. We try to be gentle with ourselves by st stating some of the truth but not being completely honest with it 
Or were you to try to hide parts of it as if God doesn't know everything about us already? And confession is really just agreeing with God that what I've done is sin. Get it out there. Speak it. Just don't think it. Be raw with it. I'm stealing this illustration from Francis Chan. I'm not stealing it. Then I'd have to confess. This is raw. And we want to garnish it, and we want to cook it, and we want to make it presentable. But sometimes we hold it down by our side and say, God, I'm really sorry for that. And he wants, to, we want, he wants us to offer it up to him. Alex reminded me that the Levitical priest took a piece of raw meat as a sacrifice and that God wants us to take a sacrifice raw to him of our heart and offer it up to him. And Jake, I'm thinking you and I split this instead of hot dogs tonight. <laughs> Just saying, the grill is warming up. That's gross. I'm going to set this down. And why so raw? Why the full disclosure? Let me read David's heart from Psalm 51. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. And against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight, and, you've proved, and you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the heart. And that was the heart of David. And, and why do we, why the full disclosure? Because I don't want to be healed from just some of it. <laughs> we want it to go deep into the heart. And I don't want to be s s healed from most of it. I want to be healed from all of it. <laughs> And so we offer it all up to God and surrender. If we confess our sins with that kind of honesty, it gets scattered like the clouds. Let's look at this verse out of Isaiah 44. It says, I have swept away your sins like the morning mists. I have scattered your offenses, offenses like the clouds. Oh, return to me. For I have paid the price to set you free. Have you ever watched the fog lift? <laughs> have you ever watched, just sat and watched the clouds scatter? Here's an article um, from an article on fog dissipation that I found. Let's look at it together. It says, these two processes... The mixing out of surface air with dry air aloft and the temperature warming cause fog to decrease in density and then eventually dissipate. On a foggy morning, this process will often play out quickly, thus being a meteorological treat to watch. 
Some of you know that I love to fish. Some of you don't know that. Uh, several years ago, I took uh, two of my daughters along with a good friend, and we headed to Astoria. And if anybody of you have been to Astoria and been up to the tower, you can look. And it's actually five miles across there. It's really big water. And the girls were excited. There was still some salmon moving around. It was late or early October, actually. And we headed into Astoria. It was at 85 here. We get to Astoria early in the morning, and there's this bank of fog that sits in. I mean, it's thick. I have to slow down so we can see. And my heart began to sink, <laughs> sink because I knew that it would be difficult for us to be able to get to where I knew the fish were traveling, <laughs> one, and that it's just stressful. And we launched anyway, and my, one of my daughters took this picture. That's what it looked like. And you can go to the next one as well. This is one of my other daughters. And you can see that you can't see much. And even with navigation, I'm stressed out because there's a lot of natural hazards. There's an island that's in the middle of the Columbia there. It's called the Desdemona Sands. And it's just underwater, and it is not your friend. And there's shipping traffic, and there's a lot of current, and there's a lot of heavy tides. And I am just stressed out. There's a heaviness about it, and I'm hoping that this fog will lift. And I'm trying to keep the line straight. And at one point, I'm just sitting down, and we did get our t lines tangled. And I'm sitting down. I think we were in neutral, just floating who knows where, because that's what it looked like. And I have my head down for no longer than three or four minutes, rebating and re-rigging, trying to get us back into the water. And I had this sense about me that something was different, but I'm busy. And I hear my daughters both go, whoa. And I look up, and this is what I saw. <laughs> and immediately, the stress was gone. <laughs> it was lifted. <laughs> it went away. And if I was real godly, what I would have said is, that's like Isaiah 44. <laughs> I, but I didn't, but it was. <laughs> Instead, I got up to my center council and fired up the big motor, and we ran out a mile to the Desdemona Sands and 25 feet of water where I knew the fish were traveling, and then we became fruitful. And now we can read that article on fog dissipation like this. Is it up there? These two processes, the mixing out of rebellion through confession with drier air aloft and the warming of forgiveness, cause sin to decrease in density and then eventually dissipate. On a sinful morning, <laughs> you've had those, I know. I've had them. On a sinful morning, this process can play out quickly and be a transformational treat to watch. Isaiah 44 says, I've swept away your sins like the morning mist. I've scattered your offenses like the cloud. Oh, return to me. I have paid the price to set you free. Let's move on in the psalm. 
verse 7. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life, and I will advise you and watch over you. Don't be like the senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. This is what I want you to hear. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surround those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Trusting God, dependence on God, is a manifestation of our surrender. Let me, let me say that a different way. When you surrender, you begin to trust in God. And joy and shouting and singing are all appropriate responses when his unfailing love is poured out on us. And that dependence gets greater and grows and our trust grows. And it leads us into a deeper faith. And a deeper faith gives us greater access to the power of the Holy Spirit. And that family is where all this blessing that David is talking about leads us. Now we have the ability to bear fruit. Jesus calls us to bear, bear fruit. And when we put our trust in him and constantly expose ourselves to the truth in the word and stay in his presence, the natural result is that we'll bear fruit. What's fruit? It's not the fish or it's not grapes. It could be. It was that day. But the Bible says that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you begin to exercise those things, you emanate the gospel of Jesus. And the love of Jesus goes everywhere with you, and it's contagious. That's the fruit. And we also have the ability to restrict or release the power of the Spirit. And I don't want to be the man that says, how much more fruitful could I have been if I surrendered, every, if I'd surrendered everything? I want to see heaven released on earth. Kathy shared this quote with me from a book she's reading um, this past week, and it says this from Heidi Baker. It says, all the world's greatest revivals began with repentance. And if you do your history, you'll find that that's true. Let me say that again. All the world's greatest revivals began with, repress, with, with repentance. I want to see revival. I want to see a move of God. Here's a, a quote, and then we'll finish, from Bill Johnson. Jake, you can come on up. Jesus didn't go through all his sufferings so we could go to church. He did what he did to atone for sin. <laughs> That's so good. And by doing so, he made it possible to raise up a new breed of world changers. 
That's us. <laughs> Those who could maintain the standard he set in love, purity, and power. This reality is one of the great prophecies that Jesus spoke. Greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. Not only does Jesus' life compel us to follow the miracle worker, so do his promises. The blood of Jesus, then, qualifies us for the first part of this equation. As a forgiven son or daughter, I am justified, cleansed, and washed clean. This is a greater reality than my sinful past. And I now stand before the Father in Christ. He sees me as he sees his son, Jesus. So only one qualification remains. How much under the influence of the Holy Spirit am I willing to live? In the past several weeks, um, God's been writing something on my heart. I believe it's for this family. And I want to just declare it over us. So if you would and you feel comfortable, just open up your hands as if you would say, God, I receive this. In the name of Jesus, I receive it. And this is what he showed me. I, I see us becoming a holy and blessed people. A family of believers that have hearts like David. A people who desire most to be in the presence of God, filled and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, being fruitful and watching God do the impossible in our community through us as we humbly surrender to him. God, we receive that as your desire for us and we begin with surrender. Tonight, the challenge is, what are you willing to surrender? <laughs> and I want you to be more honest with God than you ever have been in your life. And maybe there's someone here tonight that needs to confess something to the Lord. Ministry team, you can come up. And maybe there's someone you need to forgive or someone that you need to ask forgiveness of. Or maybe you're feeling great and you're feeling that holiness and that sanctification and you're just in the presence of God and you just want more of the Spirit, more of the power of the Spirit. And maybe there's someone that doesn't know Jesus at all. This is all new to you and you feel that stirring in your heart right now. And that, that stirring is the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, saying, come, I want this for you. I want to be in relationship with you. And tonight's your night. 